Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 16. If you're reading in a pew Bible, it should be in the ballpark of like 585. I forgot to look. As you're turning, let us bear in mind that Christmas is a time of expectation, a time of asking. If I have to ask one more time what's under the tree, I'll probably lose my mind. We're always looking for what's coming. And behind the tinsel, behind the wrapping paper, behind the lights, it's easy for our vision to get just a little blurry. And yet over and over in the Bible, God says something to this effect. To him who has ears to hear and eyes to see. I want us to focus on our eyes, on our vision today. Let us pray, and then we're going to jump in the text. Gracious Father, you have, no prior, you have no reason to speak to us except your goodness and your mercy. And Father, I pray as we come to these holy words that we would see it as a sign of your grace and listen. Father, I pray your spirit would give us all ears to hear and eyes to see. I pray that you'd give me the wisdom and the clarity needed to preach your word. Father, I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to start in verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as ye hold. Or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men, that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Thus ends the reading of God's word this morning. The heaviest weight in the world cannot be weighed, but we all can feel it. It's heavy enough to grind men into dust and to make a mockery of the most foolhardy. That weight is doubt. I recently read an interview with Tate Reeves where Tate Reeves said, I have aged 25 years in the last 25 weeks, dealing with some exceptionally difficult decisions. Now, we all know why. The toll doesn't come from the decision-making process. It's easy to make a decision. The toll comes from asking, did I make the right one? The toll comes from doubt. And it doesn't matter if that decision affects 2.9 million Mississippians or it affects our parents and our children. 
We feel its weight, don't we? The fact that the, of the matter is we live in a skeptical society. We live in a domain of doubt. If I told you today that there's 561,678,591,627 stars, nobody here would bat an eye. But if I put a sign that said fresh paint on that door, almost everybody here would have to touch it to see if it's really wet. That's just the world we live in. We live in a world dominated by doubt. If you don't believe me, I dare you to get on Facebook and ask, what's your opinion of the COVID coverage on the news? You will hear a wide spectrum of answers because we see the world through a lens of doubt. But it isn't just out in the world, is it? We deal with it here, don't we? Did I send my kids to the right school? Did I marry for the right person? Am I caring for my parents in the right way? Each hour is full of doubt, and each step we take is guided by mistrust. Behind these doubts, behind these fears, behind these anxieties, lies a deeper, more fundamental doubt and mistrust of God. Will God be with me? Will God provide? Part of the question is that we live in a visible world. I would love to say that we live in the most visible time in human history, but that's simply not the case, is it? We may have more images bombarding us, but it's not that there's more things to see. Think of it like this. It's not how many images, it's what we focus on. I know a certain somebody that when they were younger, they had a house that was absolutely pristine. I mean, we're talking about Southern living style home. Don't matter. If they see a dust bunny on that floor, everything goes out of focus except that one dust bunny. It's not what they see, it's what they focus on. God made this world to be a visible place. God looked at the world and said, it is very good. And he made us in his image. We are to live by sight, looking through the spectacles of faith. At one level, God spoke to Adam and said, you see that one fruit? Don't eat it or you'll die. Trust me. Love me. Obey me. The entire world testifies to my care for you. Every field flocking with deer, every stream teeming with fish, every pear tree poured forth praise to God's provision, every song sung by every feathered fowl fond over God's faithfulness, the entire world testified to God's goodness. But that's not where Satan attacked, is it? You know, Satan didn't slither up a pear tree and say... You know, this is a subpar pear. I've tasted better. God doesn't love you. Who would make these kind of nasty pears for people? That's not what Satan did, is it? Satan didn't attack Adam in what he could see. He attacked Adam in the realm of faith. Did God really say? Can you really trust God? Is God really with you? Is God really for you? With one swipe of his tail... Satan knocked off our spectacles of faith. Now a part of the problem is 
that we live in a visible world, but we live in it without the spectacles of faith. You know what happens. If a man goes blind, his hearing makes up for it. And when we lost those spectacles, we trusted our eyes much more. The problem is that we are now nearsighted, deluged with doubt, and the entire world testifies to that doubt. I read a childhood poem that has recently stuck with me. Said the sparrow to the robin, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush and worry so. Said the robin to the sparrow, I think that it must be. They have no heavenly father such as cares for you and for me. Our vision is skewed. We only see the problems at hand. We have poor vision. And we do not see God's provision. The reality of doubt faces us everywhere. We think doubt exists in the world, but the fact of the matter is doubt runs roughshod right through this church, right through our very hearts. And our first response to problems today is doubt. And doubting always leads to doubtful decisions. Doubting always leads to doubtful decisions. Several years ago, Helen cooked her first ever Thanksgiving turkey. And as she went to get it from the kitchen, she told her husband and son, Look, this is my first turkey. And if, it ain't any, if it's no good, I don't want to hear any smart aleck remarks. Just grab your coat, grab your hat, and we'll go to Shawnee's. She goes in the kitchen. She comes back with this turkey on a beautiful silver platter. And as she looks at the dining room table, there's her husband and child with coat and hat already on. <laughs> See, we, we laugh at this, but the thing is, isn't Ahaz doing the same thing? He looks out his window, and he sees Ephraim and Syria aligned against him. They got a cartridge in the chamber, they're sighted on his kingdom. And what does Ahaz do? Does he hit his knees and pray? Does he pr plead for God's provision? No. Doubting always leads to doubtful decisions. Ahaz says, I just need a bigger gun. Do you know what that gun cost him? Do you know the price tag of doubt? 2 Kings 16 recounts the events of Isaiah 7. And it says that Ahaz gave the treasures, the silver and the gold of his house, and the silver and the gold of the temple of the Lord to Syria, Assyria, as a present. He looked at a problem. His eyes saw a solution, and his eyes cost him. Poor vision does not provide provision. Poor vision does not provide provision. Doubt always comes with a cost. Doubt cost Ahaz the treasures of his house. We see the same thing in Abraham. Abraham receives the gospel promise. I will be with you. Genesis chapter 12. A few verses later, there's a famine. And with his poor vision... Abraham sees Egypt. So him and Sarah go to Egypt. And Abraham pretends Sarah's his sister. 
Can you imagine the turmoil in Abraham's heart? Sarah's taken into Pharaoh's chamber. How would he treat her? Would he treat her better? Would he treat her worse? Would she come back? Did he sell his Sarah to save his skin? And as many of us know, marriage laid upon the altar of poor vision is not easily restored. One can only imagine the joy and the treasure that Abraham lost in Egypt. The fact of the matter is that we too have lost treasures in this life, haven't we? Frequently, men doubt God's provision. We believe that we have to work and work and work at the sacrifice of our children. And we find that we easily grow tired of them because we gave them up long ago. One man watched his children play with his father. And as they played with their grandfather, he said to himself, I wish I could play with my children like that. But he had long given them up. And years go by and we sit at home alone and the phone never rings. And we're reminded of the sacrifice we made for our children at the cost of our children. We trusted God's, we trusted our poor vision over God's provision. And it cost us dearly. We sacrifice our integrity. We sacrifice our, pure, our sexual purity. We sacrifice our reputation upon the altar of poor vision. And it always comes back to cost us more than we bargain. But Ahaz's poor vision, our poor vision costs more than us. It costs the glory of God. Ahaz sold the treasures of the house of the Lord. Ahaz sold his soul to save his skin. And we often think, no one will see. I can do this in a corner. Or we think, well, if they see, they'll understand. If they only knew the pressures I was under, they would get it. If they only knew what was on the line, they'd understand. But the fact of the matter is they do not. Adam cast doubt on God's provision. And it has affected everyone born by a woman except one ever since. We are infected with poor vision. When we in this room as bosses and leaders and parents cast doubt on God's provision, the entire world sees us giving God the old-fashioned stink eye. People see it sells out God's glory. We may try to mask our poor vision with religious words. This is just a sacrifice I have to make. There's no other way. I don't want to bother God with these problems. But the fact of the matter is, Ahaz was wearying God. We weary God. Doubt and unbelief weary God. Ahaz did not put God to the test because he had found an idol elsewhere. He had put all of his faith and hope in Assyria. Assyria was to be his ally. Assyria was to be his provision because he did not trust God to be a trustworthy ally. His poor vision doubted God's provision. 
The question is, are we wearying God? When we put all of our eggs in someone's basket, we're saying that God does not provide. When all of our hope is in the stock market, in the government, in the latest reports, we're saying that God does not provide. When we put all of our faith in our firearms, we're saying that God does not provide. Gold and guns become our allies, and God becomes a backup plan. Doubtings, doubtful decisions make allies out of idols because our poor vision doubts God's provision. It's a slippery slope. You would think that Ahaz was raised in South Mississippi. We've all heard the expression, believe, half of what, believe nothing that you hear and only half of what you see. Is that really a good slogan to live by? God tells Ahaz something Ahaz's poor vision could not see. He tells Ahaz that he will be his ally, that he will be with him. Let me just be very honest with you. When someone tells you that walking by faith is easy, seek better counsel. They're lying to you. God would not need to send us the Almighty Holy Spirit if walking by faith is easy. I want you to consider Ahaz's predicament. He's the king. He's got thousands upon thousands whose livelihood depends upon his decision. His decision in that moment has huge ramifications. And faith is hard. What's amazing is that God doesn't slam the door in his face. That God honors his covenant. He honors his promise. And he does it with a sense of humor. Maybe some of y'all remember the movie Men in Black. That's old enough. Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith are fighting an alien invasion. Tommy Lee Jones pops open the trunk and grabs a bazooka-looking machine. And Will Smith's like, you know, where's my bazooka? And he gives him the noisy cricket. It's about the size of a derringer. It's a pea shooter. We've got an alien invasion, and you're giving me a pea shooter. What is he going to do with this? And yet, as you watch the movie, you find that's actually the most powerful weapon. That it was exactly what he needed. Now, here's Ahaz. And with his poor vision, he has trusted the Assyrian army. He wanted a bazooka. But in God's provision, he provides a baby, born of a virgin, named Emmanuel. What's so important about this child? His name says it all, doesn't it? God with us. Ahaz didn't need a bazooka. Ahaz needed the gospel. When Isaac faced famine, Isaac wasn't a bachelor. You know, if you're a bachelor facing famine, you can just eat Raymond noodles every day. You'll be fine. Ahaz had to pet me. Isaac had dependents. He had a wife. He had servants. If they died, their blood would be on his hands. And Isaac begins to look up and he sees Egypt. Irrigated farmland. Plenty of food. And he thinks, hmm, you know, that's a good decision. But then God appears. And what does God give him? 
It gives him the gospel. I will be with you. I will be your poor, your provision. And do you know Abraham, I mean Isaac, reaps a hundredfold? Something that would have been impossible had he trusted his poor vision. We see the same thing with Elijah. Elijah wakes up one morning, fixes his morning coffee, looks out the window, and the Syrian army had surrounded the town. And his servant wakes up. And his servant looks on the situation with poor vision. He says, have you seen who's outside? And you know what Elijah, do- Elijah does? He says, hold my coffin. And he prays. And he prays that God would open the eyes of his servant to see God's provision. And I think Benjamin Morgan Palmer says it best when he says, we may all feel the depression of the hour, but faith does not know the meaning of the word despair. It may know disaster, but it does not know defeat. And we know the rest of the story. Elijah's servant saw the gospel. God with us. He saw the Lord's army surrounding them. And everything would be okay. And there came a point in time when the world was looking for the Lord's army. The Lord's warrior to kick out the Romans. To bring peace on earth and goodwill toward men. But God did not give them a bigger gun. God gave them the gospel. A baby. Emmanuel. God with us. Jesus wasn't born in an ivory crib with silk sheets. He was born in a barn with a manger. It's like God has a sense of humor, doesn't he? Or maybe God doesn't have a sense of humor. Maybe God sees the world as it really is. Do you see how complicated our lives are? We take medicine to deal with the side effects of medicine. How crazy is that? We fight fire with fire, and then we complain because the world is going up in smoke. We pour out all the treasures of the Lord's house, and we wonder why God's name isn't being glorified by our families and our community and the rest of Hines County. God plainly tells us today, What we need is not more of the world. What we need is the gospel. God with us. Thomas O'Malley said once that in the works of creation, God is above us. In the works of providence, God is outside us. In the works of the law, God is against us. But in Emmanuel, in Jesus Christ, He is God with us. The very name Jesus means rescuer. God is with us to rescue us. Satan tempted him otherwise. Jesus came to rescue us not by strength, but by weakness. But Satan said, be the hero. Be the star. Take the bigger gun. But instead, Jesus Christ laid down his arms, and he bore, he suffered, and he died. And today he sends, he extends out his arms and he says, cast aside your doubt, cast aside your mistrust, cast aside your poor vision. Trust me, love me, obey me. 
I care deeply for you. Only His death can justify our guilty conscience and rectify our broken lives. Only His blood can give us a true heart with the full assurance of faith in the midst of adversity. Only His sacrifice can restore the sanity and sanctity to our lives. He is the gospel. He is God with us. He is our provision. Jesus comes to us quite clearly this morning. Come to me, turn to me, look to me. We only have provision by focusing on him. I was house-sitting one time back in Laurel. It was my first time there. It was late, it was dark, and I needed to go somewhere. And as I left the room, I ran into every possible end table. They had to have a hundred end tables in that house. But you know what? When I stopped and I focused on the light coming to, from the refrigerator, the rest of the room become to, started to come into focus. And as we focused on Christ and his provision, the world becomes a less scary place. So in closing, church, it's very easy for us to focus on the wrong thing. It's very easy for us to trust our poor vision. It's very easy to sell the treasure of our house and the treasure of the house of the Lord to save our skin. We all give Judas a hard time, but many of us have sold out our Christian integrity to make a few bucks. Ahaz may be the bad guy, but we quickly run to quick solutions in challenging circumstances because faith is hard. It was easy for Abraham, for Adam, and for Peter, for so many others. Our poor vision, our doubt, our mistrust makes this world a very scary place. In Luke 24, the disciples were scared. Fearful, troubled, doubted. Where did they find comfort? With Jesus Christ, God with us. What we need today is not more of the world, not a foreign Savior. We don't need a bigger gun this morning. We need the gospel. The fear and anxiety that grips our heart over everything from COVID to retirement to everything in between this fear causes us to reach for quick fixes and tells us that deep in our heart, somewhere, we have a mistrust in God, that we still have poor vision. I extend to you all the call of Christ. If you are struggling with this anxiety, maybe you've never given your life to Christ. This is your opportunity. Christ extends his hands to us as the light of the world, and says, look to me. And if you're struggling, maybe you've walked with Christ many years, but in the current days we're in, it's easy to look at the world and be very fearful. But I encourage you, look to Christ. Don't run for the nearest gun you can find. Run for the gospel, God with us. Will we keep our eyes on him and trust in God's provision.
Let us pray. Our gracious Father, there is so much to this world that we cannot even fathom. And yet you have revealed to us everything necessary for the salvation of our souls. That can be hard to believe when we're in the lion's den. Heavenly Father, I pray that your spirit would help us to set our eyes on things above where Christ is, where we are seated with him, that we may keep our eyes on that great hope of the gospel. Father, I ask these things in his precious name. Amen.